Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Forgive the interruption, but I believe this requires your attention. Meanwhile, at the above-ground underwater suborbital volcano lair... Mrs. Sergeant, we need a response team. We're already putting together the best man. With all due respect, sir, so am I. I have a plan. It's <laughs> a big laugh. It's real! Mighty Marvel Geeks. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. Well then, son, you've got a condition. Your show about all things Marvel with Mike, Kylan, and Eric. What a bunch of losers. I am Groot. That I did know. These people may be isolated, unbalanced even, but I believe with the right push, they can be exactly what we need. Suit up. I'm bringing the party to you. indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready. And welcome to another episode, I mean, issue of Mighty Marvel Geeks. It is the Intrepid Trio, Kylan, Eric, and myself, Mike, and we're being joined by Marvel legend, no, comic legend, Tom DeFalco. How's everyone doing tonight? Great. I'm, I'm doing fine. <laughs> Are we experiencing technical difficulties over there? Uh, no. Hydra is free and clear. We're all good. So... Like I said, I introduced Tom as a Marvel legend, having been Marvel editor-in-chief, uh, one of the top five longest-running editors-in-chief for Marvel, uh, of course, a longtime writer for, for Spider-Man, uh, creator of many different characters, uh, what, three, four dozen characters in the Marvel Universe, including um, one of my favorite, which was the black Spider-Man costumes as well. How... <sighs> We know I didn't create that. <laughs> you, you're given credit for for helping come up with with that concept, so I, I apologize for 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 saying that. But that was during the time period you were working with Spider-Man. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Um, you know that well, the black costume, um, you know, has a complicated history. Um, you know, in, in a nutshell, some fan sent it a plot in which Spider-Man gets a brand new costume. Um, Jim Shooter liked, liked the idea, uh, you know, bought the story and then turned it over to me to try to make this story work, make, make it publishable. Um, I worked with the with the um, with the writer. I think his name was Randy Schuler. I might may have that wrong. I am terrible with names. Um, but for assorted reasons, we just couldn't get the story to actually work. A couple of years later, we're doing uh, we we sell a license to Mattel for Secret Wars, and in the course of it, Jim Shooter says, "Hey, you know what? Let's give Spider Man a brand new costume." You know, and uh, he hired a, a number of artists to design a new costume for Spider. Spider-Man ended up to be a black costume. Um, they decided that the costume had all sorts of new powers. Um, through uh, a series of un- unfortunate events, I ended up be- being asked to write Spider-Man. I uh, walked into Shooter's office and said, hey, this costume, there's all sorts of special powers. How does it work? And he said to me, you're the writer. Fig- figure something out. <laughs> uh, uh, 
And uh, I, as luck would have it, I happened to be, you know, um, studying uh, parasites on uh, on whales of all things, and uh, came up with the idea of it being a sim- symbiote. Like I said, okay, a I have, history. <laughs> I have never heard that part of it before. That's studying cool. whale parasites, and that's what we have to thank for the black costume. Well, you know, I'm, I'm I, I am a, a wide a wide reader. I read all sorts of weird stuff because you never know where your next idea will come from. <laughs> so. And I was going to ask where some of your inspiration comes from, but you know, it sounds like you kind of beat me to the punch on that one. Uh, yeah, you know, um, people often ask, "Where do you get your ideas from?" Who the hell knows? <laughs> you know, uh, you just start. You know what I used to. I used to refer to it as you'd start punching the typewriter, you know, like uh, most writers, I haven't touched a a typewriter since, uh, you know, probably the late 70s, maybe the early 80s. Um, But uh, you just, you know, start throwing things on the page until uh, something catches your fancy. And then eventually you figure out what the story is, and then you throw out everything that doesn't fit your theme. Writing 101. (laughs) So how, how did you go the first time from uh, Archie Comics to Marvel Comics? Um, it, you know, my life is full of complicated things. I was working at Archie Comics. Um, I met some guys from D.C., uh, started to uh, do some custom custom comic work for uh, Joe Orlando at D.C. Comics. Uh, Joe got me involved in doing some, uh, you know, humor stuff at, at – uh, at DC, and uh, eventually gave me the best piece of advice I ever had. Uh, he asked me why, it, you know, he said, hey, you interested in doing superhero stuff? And I said, nah, Joe, that stuff looks so hard, it looks so complicated, I don't think I can do it. And he said to me, um, come on, kid, what are you kidding me? He says, it's characterization. You do characterization, you know how to, how to you know... You know, lay out your characters. It involves plot. You know how to how to construct plots. You're doing five page stories. He says, but here's the kicker: it doesn't have to be funny. They're paying you the same rate, and you're only doing half the work. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that's right. Because making it funny was always the hardest part of the job. So uh, I, I thought, yeah, let me try that. Um, and um, he uh, put me together with Denny O'Neill, who uh, asked me to write a, a love comic book first, a romance comic, because he said it's kind of like Archie. Nothing like Archie, but Denny <laughs> thought it was, so who might argue? Um, <laughs> and then Denny liked what I did enough that he asked me if I'd want to do a, a Jimmy Olsen story. And then uh, from there, I kept doing some things for DC and... Eventually, the guys at Marvel saw my DC stuff, and they said, hey, why don't you come over here and see if you can do some stuff for us? And, and that's how I got to Marvel from Archie. There were, there were many other pit stops along the way. <laughs> <laughs> so the, I remember uh, – go ahead. I was going to ask, well, what was the first project you worked on uh, when you came over to Marvel? Well, the first thing I did for them, they, they asked me to do a uh, – I think it was a five- or six-page tryout story. And they said, uh, we want you to do a five- or six-page story with the so uh, I did this story, which had you know a main plot and uh, an A story, a B story, a C story, and a D story, all, all within six pages. And I guess it, it just impressed them that you know I could do a whole story like that with the theme and everything. Uh, 
And uh, years later, um, you, you guys, I'm sure you're familiar with Carl Potts, uh, a great editor at Marvel for many years. Yep. He, he used that, that story as a, a testing ground for artists, um, kept assigning it to all these artists to see if they had, had what it t- took to do a you know, Marvel-style story. Um, you know, many many an artist uh, grew up hating me because of that story. <laughs> <laughs> they had other reasons to hate me too as time went on, but you know that's how they started the relationship. Um, I think after that, you know, I think the next thing they asked me to do was a two-part Avengers story, uh, and uh, and then you know one fill in after the next, and and then eventually they uh, you know they asked me to write write some titles for them. You know, I, I was an overnight success. It only took me ten years. <laughs> <laughs> We're halfway there, guys. We're halfway there. <laughs> halfway there. <laughs> okay, so I remember uh, back in the day uh, reading one of the bullpen bulletins out of one of the one of the comics that I care, uh, collected at the time I can't remember which one it was and you were being introduced as the editor in chief uh, taking over from a shooter I think it was and I will never forget they introduced you as two-fisted Tom DeFalco uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Did is there some kind of is there like a story behind that or was it just trying to be alliterative? Um, I uh, yeah, there's 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 a couple of stories behind that. Um, I think there, there was a time when um, Marvel and DC guys and, and, you know, I was an Archie guy at the time. We, you know, we'd all get together and we'd play poker. And, uh, you know, um, I, you know, uh, would, would sit there and, you know, have a drink in one hand and a cigar in the other hand and, uh, um, you know, do my best to, you know, clean the guys out as much as I could. <laughs> Uh, those those were fun days. Is that where a lot of uh, storylines were, were pitched and either passed or failed, depending on who what won uh, who won what hand? Um, n- not really, because you know there there were like I said, DC and Marvel guys and, and Archie guys. You know there was you know Jim Shooter, Paul Levitz, Len Wein, Marv Wolfman, Mike Barr, Jack Abel. You know just a whole bunch of guys. You know we'd, we'd sit down. Um, we we rarely discuss story ideas because you know we're all working for different companies. <laughs> um, you know, basically what we would do is uh, just crack a lot of jokes at everybody else's expense and have a great time at it. It was it was a very it was a very friendly you know you know great game. Okay. So there wasn't this kind of you know animosity that you know, you see in some fan groups nowadays where. You know, you know, it's not Marvel versus DC. It was just Marvel and. Yeah. In, in those days, we, you know, we all got along very well. Um, you know, we used to play volleyball together. And um, I think there, there was also softball, a softball league where Marvel would pe- play DC. That got very competitive. But the volleyball games, you know, you know, we would all just, you know, mush up the teams and, and just have a good time together. Uh, the, uh, you know. A lot of the animosity was, you know, more for the fan press than than, <laughs> than, than for the reality. Um, you know, I, uh, I I just read this book about the uh, slugfest, um, about the you know feud between Marvel and DC, and I was fascinated to to read a lot of it because most of it you know occurred before I was there and. 
know, and I, I you know I can tell you honestly when when I was editor in chief, I, I didn't really have time to look at DC. I, I was so. My wife my wife just finished that book. Oh, did she like it? She she was really impressed by. Yes, yeah, she did, and she said uh, it really uh, a lot a lot of the uh, the a lot of the behind the scenes stuff um surprised her. You know, um yes yeah, she she just um, mentioned that, and so it's of course on my short list now to get to. But yeah, yeah, I, I was surprised about some of the the behind the scenes stuff from you know this the you know the the early sixties and you know early seventies. Um, but like I like I was going to say when I when I was editor in chief of Marvel, I didn't have time to look at DC. I was putting in twelve hour days, so busy were focused on Marvel that you know I, I wasn't paying any attention to what DC was doing, and, and you know certainly didn't have any time to squabble with DC. <laughs> Well, I was spending spend all my time squabbling with all the guys at Marvel. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, 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 speaking on that, so you're editor, and that's I was looking up some stuff, and I saw that while you were editor, that you were still writing at the same time. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I mean, what was that like? I mean, I mean, you're, you know, so I mean, along with along with being the editor in chief of Marvel Comics, you're still part of that creative process. Um, you know. It, when I first joined Marvel, I joined Marvel as a writer. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was asked to be, you know, come on, on staff, um, I originally came on staff with the idea that it would be a temporary job. I thought it was going to only last about six months because I, you know, as far as I was concerned, I, you know, I was a writer just going to do this staff stuff temporarily. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, around the time that I became editor-in-chief, I had been thinking about, you know, leaving staff altogether and going back to full-time writing. Um, the editors I worked with uh, while I was editor-in-chief were the same editors I worked with before I joined staff, before I, you know, became editor-in-chief. So we had established the relationships, you know, years earlier. Um, and I, you know, I technically I was their boss, but I was so used to listening to them. And um, and I'm actually somebody who believes very deeply in the, you know, the editor, you know, the editor-writer dynamic. Because I, I don't care how good a writer you are, um, you're you're missing things, um, you're forgetting things, you're allowing loopholes to fall in, into your stories. So it's always good to have an objective pair of eyes go over this stuff. And um, you know, I've always thought that you know, I I have to give Denny O'Neill credit for this. He, when I first started working for Denny, he had this sign on his on his wall that said, "The job is boss." And it was a quote from some other famous writer. I don't know who that famous writer is, so I cannot attribute the quote correctly. Um, and I've always been foolish and never looked it up. Uh, but I but I saw it on Denny O'Neill's wall, so that was good enough for me. And uh, I've always thought the job is boss. So if you know if the editor has a good idea, the assistant editor has a good idea, the janitor has a good idea. I don't care. I'll throw it into the story because. You know, it, it ain't about me. It's about the job. Um, if if you look at my stuff, you'll you'll notice that I always go take great pains to be invisible as a writer. I think it's important that when you're reading the story, all you care about are the characters. Um, and uh, you know, I still believe that. Now, while we're on the editor writer topic, uh, recently it came out that CB Sibelski uh, confessed that he, while an editor for Marvel, was writing under a pen name and now he's getting some heat.
meat for it. Uh, would obviously when when you were with Marvel, this wasn't the case. Why why would he be getting so much heat for it now, as opposed to y'all getting heat for it back in the day? Well, um, at at some point, Marvel decided that they didn't want anybody on staff to do freelance work. Um, and, um, you know, that, that's their rule. I, uh, I think it's a, it's a, yeah, I should keep my mouth shut, but I think it's a foolish rule. I think it's important for the people on staff to know what it's like to face the horror of the blank page because they have to know what their freelancers are going through. They have to know how it is when somebody stares at a blank page and nothing's coming out. Um, Because unless you face that situation yourself, you don't know how to help anybody else get over it. Um, You know, a lot of people think that you know, writing or drawing is just an automatic thing, but there, there's a lot to it. Um, and I think, you know, it's important for the editors to understand all the aspects of, of it. Um, as far as working on the pen names, who among us has not used a pen name at one point or another in, in his life? You know, <laughs> um, you know, I uh, I do a lot of things that uh, are not related to comics, and most of those things have other names on them. Um, you know, uh, some of them because you know because we started those names years many years ago. And, uh, you know, others for all sorts of crazy marketing thing, things. But, you know, I have no problem with anybody working under a pen name because because most, you know, most of my best paying stuff has been under pen names. So, <laughs> you know, what can I tell you? OK, I, I have to ask about G.I. Joe. All right. So they lost Kylan. Did you uh, start up again? Uh, Kylan. Okay, yeah. OK. All right. So with G.I. Joe, were you given the characters and you created? the story from that or you know how how much how much how much influence did you have with the comic as far as you no know, Hasbro giving you these other characters, come up with it what you want, or all right, I'll tell you my version of the of the events. Okay, and this is where where I take up you know total credit for everything, all the genius stuff, except for all the creative work which Larry Hama did. Um, okay. You know, um, any anything successful about GI Joe, Larry Hama with with a, a helping hand by by Archie Goodwin. Um, when Hasbro first approached us, their idea was they, they had a, a character called G.I. Joe, and um, he had a number of different different functions. He was a ranger. He was a this. He was a that, you know. And, uh, you know, we looked at it and we said, no, 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 no. You know, you got seven different figures. Let it be seven different characters. And they said, well, but who's Joe? We said, Joe is the code name for the team. Um, and I, I don't know who came up with that idea. I'm going to guess it was Larry Hama. There's a chance it was Archie Goodwin. There's absolutely, it's such a good idea. There's absolutely no chance it was mine. Um, uh, you know, Larry, I know that the, um, Archie Goodwin came up with the idea of Cobra Command, and uh, he and Larry, you know, you know, worked out the details. Most of the details worked out again by Larry. Larry Hama, in case you guys don't know, is a creative genius, a terrific writer. He's also a fabulous artist and a great editor. I hate the guy because he can do everything and does it so well. It just, you know, annoys the hell out of the rest of us. Um, 
in terms of the you know in terms of the first couple of comic books Larry Hama came up with the plots uh, on his own uh, you know, I was the editor so I got to add in a couple of commas um, and uh, you know basically the first I don't know hundred some odd issues again all Larry Hama <laughs> did I take too much credit I hope I did no. <laughs> <laughs> well I, I, I was lucky enough and ran to Larry Hama down in Atlanta uh, back in uh, at uh, in September. So I got to uh, hear his story and yeah, the, the story's job pretty well. So, I give Larry, you know, total credit for, for, for everything because he did it all. <laughs> well, I, I will still, I'll tell him, I will tell you just like I told him, issue 21 was sheer genius. Sheer genius. Uh, which, which issue was that? The silent issue. Oh, yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. I, I I remember when I got because uh, at that time I was I was getting my um, subscriptions in the mail. So uh, so like uh, issue twenty at the end of issue twenty, this is the most it would be the most surprising issue you've ever seen. And I'm like okay because they said about every issue. And so I re- I open it up and I'm like where's the words? And I'm like there, there's no word bubbles anywhere. And I sat there and I flip through it and then I go back to the front. And then I start going through it again. And I could probably still, I will, if I, actually, I still have that book and it's in terrible condition. I can never sell it. Not that I would want to. But I can still today go back and still be pulled into that story because just what you guys did was sheer magic. I well, just awesome. I, you know, um, not, not us, guys. That was that was Larry and, and, and whoever the penciler was. I don't remember who penciled that issue. Uh, I, I was not associated with G.I. Joe at that time. But, uh, you know, just as a reader, and, and I remember being blown away just probably just as much as you were. Uh, many years later, Marvel decided they were going to have a silent month. And uh, I remember hearing all these writers wondering what the heck to do. And I think I ran into Larry in the, in the hall and said, yeah, yeah, this is this is going to be an easy month for us. <laughs> <laughs> This is when the letterist takes vacation, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh no, they, they the letterist still got paid because they had to, you know, you know, do the sound effects and line up the borders. Oh okay. So they got they got paid their full rate. <laughs> so out of all the uh, this, this question, I'm sure is is comes up just about every time you do an interview. But uh, hey, we haven't asked it yet, so here goes. Uh, in, in lieu of asking, you know, do you have any favorite characters? Because that I, I find that's that's a question that most people kind of like aren't really comfortable with when you were doing your writing for Marvel are there any characters that you just you would jump at the chance to write I mean even if they weren't particularly your favorite characters per se you just you loved writing like I, yeah, I know there's there's a lot of uh, obviously there's a lot of spider characters but I also noticed you do a lot with the thing was the thing one of the that you like talking uh, writing for or oh yeah I you know I loved working on Ben um, I thought but, uh, you know, I, uh, when I first I, at one point I was working on um, Marvel uh, two and one starring Ben mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Jim Shooter read the first couple of issues. He says, what is this, an autobiography? Um, <laughs> ben and I uh, share many similar uh, traits. Um, 
I bet you, you know. never met Sandman in a bar, though, did you? Not Sandman, but guys like him. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually that's actually one of my favorite issues. There, it's kind of like there's there's no Biff Sock Pow in it. They just wind up in a at a bar and they're just like chatting with each other. Uh you know, I you know, I, I was always trying to do something different. Uh, actually, I nothing's changed. I, you know, every time I sit down at the computer, I always try to do something different. Um, I, you know, I remember when I pitched that story, I, you know, I was looking at the editor, looking at Jim Shooter, thinking, yeah, there's no way this is going. <laughs> and then Shooter said, so, so it's really just a conversation between two guys that have a lot in common and never realized it. I said, yeah. He goes, what the heck? Let's try it. <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, okay, we'll try it. Let's we'll, we'll see. Uh, um, you know, well, I, I, get- I personally like the the whole concept of the Sandman as not necessarily a hero, but he's no longer a villain. He's kind of like trying to turn his life around, and that's kind of where that started. Yeah, that's exactly where that started. Um, that one, and then we had a follow up a couple of months later. Um, uh, ben. Uh, Ben was severely injured in a fight um, in a uh, in a Marvel team uh, two and one annual with a character called the Champion and uh, ended up in the hospital. And uh, you know uh, all these heroes, all these villains are trying to get to him. All these heroes are trying to protect him, and the only one who manages to reach him is the Sandman with a six pack of beer and a, and a <laughs> I think a six pack of beer and a roast beef sandwich, uh, which was actually something from uh, my life which I don't want to get into now. But anyway, uh, um, you know, and then somewhere along the line, they said to me, uh, you know what, we should do more with the Sandman like this. And, uh, you know, we started to do more with the Sandman like that. Got him working for Silver Silver Sable, and um, I thought he was really on the road to redemption. Uh, But then later on, people changed their minds. Mm. Uh, He had a good run while he was at it. Yep, yep. Now, and of, you also created Silver Sable too, right? I'm sorry, what was that? Hey, you had a hand in creating Silver Sable too, right? Yeah, that's uh, Silver Silver Sable was created by me and um, good old uh, you know ravishing Ron Friends, <laughs> who's you know Ron Friends, I, I you know uh, is a great artist that I've been you know allowed to uh, ride on his coattails for many a year, and boy do I appreciate it. So being one of the the co-creators of Silver Sable, what was um, your feelings when you heard the announcement that Sony wants to do this silver and black movie with Silver Sable? Um, I thought, you know, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Listen, I I wish them the best of luck. I hope it's a great film. I think that uh, Silver Sable is the kind of character who could easily, um, you know, easily headline a film by herself or a TV series. Uh, when we worked out the Bible for the character, um, you know, I'm an old fashioned kind of writer. So anytime I you know, work on a new character, I have to write a whole big Bible for myself. So I, so I understand who I'm writing about. And, uh, you know, we put in a very detailed backstory and I think that backstory is strong enough to support a TV series, you know, or a movie. And I, you know, I'm anxious to see what they do. Now, um, go ahead, Kyle. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, with um, Disney talking about this streaming service and new shows they potentially want to put on it, has there been talk of you maybe helping out on maybe a Dazzler show? Since- <laughs> 
<laughs> the three of us are old enough. I think we all remember when Dazzler first came on the scene. Yep. And, and it was, for me, it was such a great title as well. Yeah. It's one of the ones I dabbled in, uh, Dazzler, Cloak and Dagger. Um, I would love to see, uh, just like Silver Sable, I think Dazzler could be a great character to see on screen, be it big screen or small screen. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think it would be a lot of fun to see Dazzler uh, on television. Um, if Disney is talking about uh, developing anything for television, they're not talking to me. So um, I have no idea what they're doing. Uh, but, you know, I, I'd love to see Dazzler on, on screen. I'd love to see Silver Sable on screen. I think, you know, Marvel has been doing some, you know, pretty interesting things in terms of television and, and, and their movies. You know, hey, I'm a Marvel geek. I love the Marvel <laughs> movies. I, I think... Uh, I think the last bunch have been one hit after the other. They're all a lot of fun. Um, you know, and I'm looking forward to Black Panther and, uh, and, and Avengers Infinity War and, you know, the second Ant-Man film, you know, they're, you know, I'm sold on these things. Wow. No, no, I haven't seen Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> While we're on this, on this thread though, uh, talking about Infinity War. Now you were an editor in chief when the first Infinity Gauntlet came out, uh, would you care to talk about how that came about? You know? um, well, uh, I think uh, Jim Stalin, you know, approached Craig Anderson and, and pitched the idea to him. And then Craig came in to me and said, hey, you know, Stalin's got this idea for this story. And I said, really? What's what's it about? And he started to describe it to me. And I said, sounds like a good idea to me. Let's let's do it. And uh you know, we we did the first the first Infinity Gauntlet, and uh, it was uh, I think it was both a commercial and a artistic success. Uh, oh yeah, I know I know I really enjoyed it, and then. Um, yeah, I know we did two other sequels, uh, and then, you know, did, did a comic book based on it. Um, I, you know, I know one of them, the sequels was called the infinity war and I forget what the other one was called, but, uh, you know, Jim Starlin is, he's Jim Starlin. He's a great <laughs> artist, a great writer. He, he does these fabulous, you know, cosmic stories. Um, you know, how can you go wrong? <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. I, I love how how some of these great ideas that that have just panned out just started off with a oh what the heck let's do it. Well, you know, back in those days, uh, comics were a lot more freewheeling. Um, we, you know, somebody would come in with an idea and pitch the idea, and and if we liked it, we could, you know, I, I had the ability to just approve it. Okay, we'll do it. I remember one time somebody dropped off a pitch uh, on my desk, and I came in, uh, you know, I'd gone out and picked up some lunch sat down and while i was eating my lunch i read the pitch i called the guy up he, he, he was just walking in the door you know getting getting to his home after having dropped it off and i said yeah we're gonna do this um <laughs> and he uh you know he said uh are you kidding me i said no no we're gonna do it uh and um and he said oh yeah he says boy you guys are different from the from uh the other guys he says you're there when you drop off a pitch you don't hear from them for three or four months I said, yeah well we're, you know we're faster <laughs> we move we have to move faster because we're you know we were a much more desperate group 
<laughs> so out of that, do you does do any of them strike you? You know, from the top of your head, just just seem like really off the wall kind of they outperformed any kind of expectation. Oh, so so many things outperformed expectation. The the new Ghost Rider. Um, we thought we had a really good strong concept, but we were blown away by how how well uh, the fans embraced it and how well you know it sold and every you know how popular the character became um you know uh, you know uh, guardians of the galaxy you know i really liked what uh, jim valentino had proposed and thought oh, oh yeah th- th- this could be fun and much bigger than we thought it would be you know so many uh, so many ca- characters like that Okay, then I, I got to ask the question. Do you have anything to do with the introduction of Taserface? Taserface. Uh, he, he, uh, was, he was a character in like the, the early run of the, uh, of the Valentino uh, Guardians. Uh, no, that was, that, was, that was pure Jim Valentino. Okay, because I just think – I remember picking that up for the first time and going, Taserface? Really? That's the name they came up with? And then to see it show up in the Guardians movie – I was just kind of like, I can't help but laugh all the way through every time he's on screen. But uh, no, I, I remember I, I, can't, I collected that one. I collected the new Ghost Rider uh, when it uh, when it came out. And yeah, I mean, I just like, like I love these guys. You, you know, so, so many things when you do it, you, you know, you, you have no idea, of, you know, what's going to happen with it. I'm, you know, a title that I'm associated with Spider-Girl. Um, yeah. You know, I was assigned to write What If? And I was just trying to come up with ideas for What If? And Spider-Girl was just one of the ideas for What If? Uh, as Ron Friends and I got to the end of that issue, Ron said, hey, this is a pretty good, nice character. You think we could ever do another one? And I said, yeah, Ron, so what if? You know, I don't know, maybe we could do a sequel a, a year or two from now, but you know, I, I wouldn't hold my breath because we'll probably be off the title by then. Um, and uh, never occurred to me that, uh, you know, Marvel would later say, hey, this thing sold well enough, we're going to give her our own title. Well, you know, and, and when they did, they said, you know, do you think you can do six issues of this? And I said, six issues? Sure, I could do six issues of anything. Uh, and then as we were finishing up the, the first six issues, they said, hey, could you do six more issues? And that went on for 13 years. <laughs> <laughs> 13 years, six issues at a time. I like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And of course, we know Spider-Girl makes an appearance in the uh, most recent Spider-Man cartoon with uh, the Web Warriors story arc. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, she, uh, it's her, uh, Spider-Man Noir, um, and a couple other, uh, I think even Spider-Ham makes an appearance. Yeah, Spider-Ham's in it. Uh, Good old Spider-Ham. That was a a concoction, you know, again, you know, me and Larry Hama was sitting in his office and, uh, you know, was saying, you know what, Marvel, you know, they were talking, at the time, there was a, a lot of talk about Marvel opening up its own stores. The retailers were always paranoid. Marvel was going to open up a chain of stores. And we're sitting in the office laughing like crazy, saying, Marvel can't open up a, their own stores. You know, in order to open up your stores, you got to be like Disney. You have to have a, a lot of apparel and you have to have plush. And, you know, we, we've got a couple of T-shirts, but we don't have any plush. And Larry said, yeah, you need funny animals for plush. And I said something like, uh, what do you mean, like Peter Porker, Spider-Ham? And then Larry and I started topping each other, coming up with all sorts of different, you know, play on words for all of our superheroes. And uh, somebody came in and said, what is this, a new book you guys are working on? And we thought, yeah, why don't we do it? Yeah, we'll do a one shot. Peter Parker, Spider-Ham. <laughs> why not? So we went to Jim Shooter and said, hey, we want to do, you know, Marvel Tales starring Peter Parker, Spider-Ham. And Shooter said, what are you guys, crazy? 
She said, no, 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 this this will work. It'll sell. Get out of here. You, but he, you got money. he let us. Yeah, he let us do it, and uh, and it so it sold well enough that uh, there was this Peter Porker Spider Ham book for for a bunch of years. <laughs> and I and I collected it too. Uh, I think I, at the time I was living in Orange County, New York, when it came out. You know, you know, we were just in those days. We were just trying to do things to amuse us, and you know, have have a lot of as much fun as we could because we figured if we were having fun the readers would have fun and uh that, that's always been my attitude that was around the time i was picking up spider ham i was picking up uh the the freelance book from from sergio uh with guru the wanderer oh yeah another great title i love that title um I forgot where i was gonna go <laughs> <laughs> i have a question i do have oh. one about night thrasher night thrasher how'd that come about <laughs> Oh, another complicated story. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm visiting uh, Marvel's distributor, uh, Curtis Circulation. And I'm, you know, and they were distributing all sorts of magazines. And I said, uh, you know, what's the best selling magazine to, uh, you know, to, to teens? And he says, oh, it's, you know, it's these uh, uh, skateboard ma- magazines. Best selling magazine right now is a magazine called Thrasher. I said, Thrasher? And he said, yeah, it's Thrasher. And, and then he had three or four other skateboarding magazines. So, so this is what's what's hot, what's selling now. I said, yeah. So, uh, you know, I had uh, decided that, you know, Marvel should do a team of uh, teenage heroes. And, um, you know, I wanted to use some pre-existing some guys and I wanted to introduce at least one new new character in there. So, that, you know, something different. Uh, again, always come, coming up with something new, something different. And I thought, uh, well, I know the name of the character has to have Thresher in his name, have something to do with skateboards because... Because that's what's hot, and um, you know that, that that was my starting point. You know, and I thought at some point I decided Thresh was going to be black because I thought, yeah, let the team leader be black. You know, it's, it's right. you know it's about time for you know for a team leader to be black. I, you know, I hope that doesn't sound racist. No, no. Well, I mean, it was uh, at um, at the time I I come across the uh, I come across the Night Thrasher miniseries. And yeah, it, that followed I, it by about uh, it, a year or so. Yeah, and and so then I, I then I came across, then I stumbled across um, New Warriors, and I mean that was it was cool because there there wasn't any teams with a black leader. I mean, especially a young team like that. Um, and skateboarding was hot at times, so you know it, it, it was cool to have a. It was an interesting character, and stories were good. And actually, um, it was uh, I'm how did how do you feel now to see new warriors coming to uh well I, I guess they're still coming to tv we just don't know when but you know i i think it's cool that uh, a, a lot of things that you know uh I, I was lucky enough to work on in the 80s uh you know they you know they're, they're coming out on television in the movies uh it's you know it's kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought by this time everybody would have forgotten what I had done. <laughs> Actually, I have a question kind of tying into to Kylan's because um, I remember seeing uh, New Warriors number one when it came out and I recognized Firestar because, of course, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And some of the I, I vaguely recognized some of the other characters. And I just got to ask, why these characters? I mean, aside from the fact they were teenagers, you said you wanted to, to do a, a 
teen group. What well, made these particular teens in particular? Because at first, you know, I started reading it. I thought, there's no way. There's no way this can work. But as the sto- as the, the title went on and the, the stories went on, they actually seemed to gel. And it's kind of like, this is a really good group. And so I'm just wondering, like, you know, what the thought process was behind assembling that particular lineup. Well, um, it, it's hard to go back. I was going to say 20 years, probably closer to 30 now. Um, But, um, you know, Night Thrasher was was going to be the new character that we introduced into the team. Uh, Speedball was a character I co-created with Steve Ditko, and I was familiar with him and his powers, and I thought, well, he's he's an interesting character that never got his, you know, I I don't think had gotten his his real chance at the sun. Um, Firestar was another character that I had dealt with with a lot. Um, I had written her first limited series, basically developed her for comic books, uh, gave her her origin and everything else. Um, and I thought, okay, so we have um, Firestar, who's somebody who you know points energy. We've got uh, an up close and personal guy who uses his fists, uh, Thunderstrike, uh, Night Thrasher. Uh, Speedball is a bouncy around character. Um, we need a we need a strength character. Um, you know, we could also use a mental character, and so that's where I came up with uh, you know Nemora and uh, um, Marvel Boy. And uh, I then thought, eh, you know, you it's always good to have a flying character. And thought, ah, Nova, <laughs> and, and and basically kind of figured out you know different functions of the team. You know, you don't want too many guys who just you know point and and shoot powers. You want to make sure that every member of the team has a different type of power, so they have a different type of function. That's how the sausage is made. <laughs> and I will say, I also like the addition of Cord as the kind of part mentor, part backup, part pilot. I thought, oh yeah, he, he was kind of like you. Alfred with an edge. Yeah, well, you know, um, naturally, when I did Night Thrasher, I did a whole Bible on him and a whole backstory, and and, and you know, basically built the world around them. I um, I always think that uh, you know, it's important to build worlds around your characters. Uh, and by worlds, I mean have have very, have a very strong supporting cast, um, and each member of the supporting cast should have their own storylines. You know, if you, it's basically soap opera one hundred and one. If you ever read Spider Girl or Thunderstrike or or my Fantastic Four or my Spider Man or, or pretty much anything I've ever done, it, it, you'll notice how the supporting cast, uh, you know, is an integral part of the series. At what point did you go from being a writer and editor, them bestowing editor in chief to you? Um, at what point? Um, I, I guess it was in 1987 or something like that. Uh, the, the company, uh, Jim Shooter was the editor in chief. They decided to make a change. Uh, and, uh, I was surprised when they told me that I was going to be the editor in chief because I thought when they made the change, since I was shooters number two, that they would get rid of both of us. Um, and I always remember saying to the president uh, uh, when he told me that he wanted me to be the editor in chief, I said, you know that I'm a freelancer masquerading as a staff person and that if you give me this job, I'm going to spend all my time trying to make life good for freelancers. And the president of the con- company, a man by the name of Jim Golden, said to me, well, that's exactly what you should be doing. Um, and uh, 
I had always had great respect for the man. And, and, and when he said that to me, it, it kind of like doubled or tripled uh, because, uh, you know, I felt this was a boss who was going to support us. And, and he always did while I, while I was there. I also want to give a shout out to my publisher, who was a gentleman by the name of Mike Hobson. Uh, he was uh, Mike Hobson. Mike, Mike Hobson was such a good boss that he ruined me. I've never been able to take it, have another job since since I worked for Mike Hobson because he was such a good boss, you know, compared to Mike Hobson. Okay. Okay. So, hypothetical question: Marvel, Disney, happy guys? Did I lose you? No, you still got us. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. Excellent. Okay, so hypothetical question for you, sir. Uh, Marvel, Disney, whoever uh, calls you up and says, we would like for you to take on writing uh, for a new title. Whether it be uh, whether it be comics or whether it be like screenplay for a TV show or even a movie, uh, you get to pick any any character, any group. Who would you go with? Uh, I, you know, if I could uh, choose my own artist and work on any character, I would work on Captain America with Ron Friends. Um, because I've always had a, a special place in my heart for Captain America. And I think Ron Friends would do a fabulous job drawing, drawing Captain America. I like that. Big Cap fan well, here myself. Good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I've always looked at Cap and thought, you know, you know, and people are always getting in, involved in all sorts of political stories because they, they miss the essence of what Captain America is. Captain America symbolizes the spirit of America, the can-do spirit, the, you know, I'll find a way. And, and, you know, and that's the magic of Captain America, you know. My idea of a Captain America story is on page one. He's hanging upside down, you know, from a cliff with, with a woman in his arms. And they're, they're, you know, a horde of bad guys, you know, shooting machine guns at him. And he says to her, don't worry, I've been in tougher situations. And uh, on page two, you know, he solves the problem. <laughs> because that's Captain America. So being a, a strong Cap fan yourself and, and a former editor-in-chief, what was your take when they came out with this whole, whether it's mind, mind control, mind altering, but turning Cap Hydra? Well, first I'm going to have to say um, I haven't read it, so it's unfair for me to actually comment on, on the specifics of the story. However, when I heard about it, I you know realized that this was an alternate universe Cap Captain America, because some the, the Red Skull or somebody had taken the Cosmic Cube and re, you know created a new universe, something like that. And I thought, ah, oh, it's an interesting story idea. I wonder where they're going to go with it. And uh, you know, I think that uh, you know they they went with it where, where they went with it. I, I think that you know guys you know come up with interesting story and uh you know and and, and then come up with an explanation for it uh it, it's the basics of all fictions you know where I, if you ever saw star trek i remember that you know one time an episode opened up and they were all wearing nazi uniforms yeah. and uh, you know as a viewer i said boy i gotta see what happens next so i thought you know that, that's what they, that's what they were doing with the uh captain america hydra which i like i said i I, I did not read the story. It was intriguing, not intriguing enough for me to buy it. Now, are you reading any Marvel titles now or following anything? Um, I, I read a, a handful of comic books every month. Uh, 
and um, I'm not finding anything that, uh, you know, anything that's compelling me to keep on reading. So I don't want to give you a list of the titles that I don't like. Um, I, you know, I have a different attitude than most of the other writers of comics, and I'm just going to say comics. Um, you know, if if you, uh, you know, if you go to the movies or watch television or read novels, uh, you will see that all of media around us is speeding up. You know, in a movie, within 10 seconds, some big thing has happened. Uh, on television, before the first commercial, some big thing has happened. In, in a novel, I always remember a, an editor once said to me, kid, you got five pages to show me a dead body. If I don't see a dead body, I ain't going to page six and neither are you. Uh, and in comic books, because of decompressed storytelling, sometimes a whole issue goes by and nothing happens. Um, and I find that very boring. Uh, and, you know. I am an old fart, so you guys can you, know, you guys can call me an old fart because I am. But I still think, uh, guys, look at movies, look at television, look at look at other media. Things are speeding up. Don't slow down the comic books. What do you think Marvel needs to do to get back to to the prestige that it was in? Uh, since a lot of people are criticizing them for for slipping and slipping hard. Um, well, I'm I'm not up on the reasons for the criticism, um, and uh, you know I I don't even know if the you know how justified the criticism is or or isn't. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if anybody asked me at Marvel and, you know, I, I doubt they will, I would say, uh, you know, get back to basics and make sure that every issue you're giving your reader a, a full story, because if you are reading a thing that's part one of six, 10, 12, whatever, you, you don't get a feeling of satisfaction. And, with, and if you don't get a feeling of satisfaction, you're not going to come back. And, uh, you know, so, so move the stories along, move them along quicker, uh, you know, go, go for the old sub, you know, soap opera, a lot of subplots. Uh, I used to feel that when I was, you know, writing Spider-Man or, or Spider-Girl that, uh, it, you make the make the readers care about the character so much, so that if I have a lousy villain this issue, that they, they'll forgive me because they want to still find out what's going to happen in the character's life next month, and they'll come back next month uh, because you know we're selling one issue at a time. I you know yeah I know I, that that so all sounds like old fashioned ideas, right? Oh no no uh, no no. I, I think that's some of the complaint is that a lot of readers aren't getting satisfied with with what's coming out and that there is way too many um property-wide events happening that you know two a year or or one that that takes forever and then that last book just takes forever to get here and the rest of the universe has moved on before it's come out well that that's bad coordination you know that's that's purely logistics um and uh you know that stuff should should be easily fixed now i have Um, luckily luckily nobody's coming to me so i don't have to worry about it (laughs) 
Again, I'll, I'll ask this as, as you being a, a former editor in chief with the success of the Marvel movies and the success of the Marvel Netflix shows and, and now TV shows as well. Should Marvel be looking into making the comics reflect what potential new readers are seeing now on the big screen? I mean, should there be a little bit more of a tie in? Um, I, you know, I, I'm not sure how necessary that is. Um, um, I think that if if the comic books reflected the attitude, uh, you know, more than the details, I think that would be enough. Um, I look at a, a lot of the movies and what I see is, uh, you know, 1980s hoo-ha, you know, a lot of actions, a lot of subplots, a lot of, you know, soap opera and uh, a nice sense of humor in each of the movies. Um, and... You know, sometimes I read the comics and I, you know, either they're making fun of the characters or uh, the, ca- the comics are very dour. Um, and I, you know, you know, life itself is dour. We, we turn to comics for entertainment. Kyla, I hear you. Kyla, Eric, you, <laughs> Hello? Guys, you guys have anything else? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think. I mean, this is... This has been such a great conversation. I'm just I'm just trying to think. Where do I want to go with this next? Uh, okay, I asked you earlier if you could get uh, if you could write on any one title, any one character uh, who it would be. Are there any projects outside of Marvel or, or just comics in general that you haven't tried but would like to? Um, outside of comics, well, I, I actually have a couple of careers outside of comics that you guys don't know about, um, and. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a very lucky guy um, because they have all been, you know, a lot more successful than I would have imagined any of them you know, could have been. But, uh, you know, I've, I've managed to have a, you know, a, you know and, and still am having a, a wonderful career doing a whole, whole bunch of different fun projects. Um, uh, yeah, I, uh, you know. I can tell you that I've never written a, uh, a musical, uh, but I have no sense of music and no interest in actually writing a musical. Uh, uh, you know, I've, I've never had a Broadway play produced, but I've never written one. So I guess I can un- understand why that would happen. But uh, otherwise, yeah, I've managed to do every everything else that I wanted to do. <laughs> and, uh, and, and luckily, you know, they're still paying the bills. Uh, now so, I've so got all life, these mental images of, of Peter Parker the musical. Oh, well, you know, yeah, there have been sillier things in the world. Spider Girl, the one woman show. You know why not? <laughs> Listen, Mayday Parker. That was a that was a fun thing. Uh, was, you know, it, it, you know, we had a I had a lot of fun with that title. I think uh, uh, I found out that Marvel is going to start producing the uh, you know a complete collection of, of Mayday Parker trade paperback, at least volume one. We'll see if it sells well enough for volume two and uh you know i think that uh, people who missed it the first time around get it now because guys that, that was really a lot of fun you you know you you should treat yourselves to some real you know good goofy fun stuff yes uh, yes I, 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 you know, I, uh, in, in many regards, I think I, I, I've probably written my last comic book by now, but uh, if there was anything that would ever draw me back, it would be Mayday Parker. Uh, l- luckily, I think if, the, if Marvel ever does it again, they, they, they ain't going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thank you for coming on the show. Where, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, 
um, do I really want people to find me on the internet? <laughs> I, uh, you know, after years of being badgered, I, I joined Facebook, and then there's there's a limit to how many friends you can have, and I, I hit that that limit. Um, I don't have a website because I I used to feel every time I turned on the computer I should be working. Um, I uh, so I, I don't have websites. I you know you know. Like I said, every time I, t- I turn on the computer, I'll be there uh, doing an interview like this or, or I'm working, which is what, I'm, you know, <laughs> what I should be doing. You know, although, you know, so, I, you know, I don't know if I can be found on the Internet. I don't want to be found anymore, guys. Not a problem. I, I, you know, life, life is uh, taking some interesting and fun terms for, turns for me these days. I, I now actually take uh, the entire weekend off, um, which was which which was a big thing for me. Uh, to decide not to work seven days a week anymore, uh, you know, I, not, I now get to sit there and watch my my entire football game instead of just the first half. It's it's really a, an amazing thing. <laughs> okay, uh, who you pull for? What? Who, who do I root for, for then? Yeah, yeah. I, I root for the Jets. It's it's not quite football, but it's like football. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there could be worse things in life in the NFL. Uh, and, and my team just made a step in the right direction. Hopefully. Which, who's your team? I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. Oh, uh, yeah. You, you guys got rid of your vice president, didn't you? Yep. I, I wish yeah. you, I wish you the best of luck. It, it, you know, except for the, the Jets, a bit like a, what is it, a 50 year drought? Come on, guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our, our plan is, you know, every, every fifth year, we're going to be, a, it's going to be a rebuilding year for us. Well, I, I knew the Jets, so, uh, I knew that the Jets were in better shape when they offloaded Eric Mangini to the Browns many years ago. <laughs> Oh, oh man. Uh, yeah. Um, well, how excited are you to to see Dazzler appear in the next X Men movie, uh, X Men Dark Phoenix? I didn't know Dazzler was going to be in the next uh, X Men movie. I, in general, if it's a movie that I think I'm going to go see, I try not to read anything about it or, or that, so I go in with a complete open mind. Um, because okay. I, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to have preconceived notions. I just want to go in and, and just be entertained. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. The, no, you, the boss you, is calling. You, usually, usually it's my, my young pup that, that's barking in the background. So it's, it's a nice change of pace to have a, another animal bark interrupting <laughs> the show. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we I, thank you for we thank you for coming on. Uh, definitely would love to have you on. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. This has been a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Um, so that's going to wrap us, wrap it up for us for this week. Uh, check out my pleasure. Thank you. Check out Tom's great work between Spider Girl, Dazzler, Peter Porker, aka Spider Ham, GI Joe, the the many many things that that Tom has been a part of. Uh, check him out. And uh, until next time. I, I- Thank you.